things differently and, and approaching our Wednesday night service in a little different way, changing up a few things just to make it interesting in the summertime. And we're trying to increase our summertime attendance on Wednesday nights by part of this. And one of the things we're doing on Wednesday nights is memorizing the titles of the books of the Bible. And uh, we're going to give you a chance to try it out now. We're going to be in the book of Daniel and see how quickly you can find that. In the book of Daniel. And we'll be in chapter number three. We'll preach on the subject. Get on fire for God. Get on fire for God. Daniel chapter number three. In the very first verse, it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the, the princes, the governors, captains, judges, treasurers, counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together under the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now look at verse number 12. Everybody was commanded to be there to bow down to this huge image that the pagan king had set up. But there were Jews there, Hebrews who had been taken captive and they're in exile in Babylon serving under King Nebuchadnezzar. And so while everybody else is bowing, look what it says in verse 12. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then... Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if you be ready at the moment, He's given them a second chance. Now if you be ready at, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not, you shall be cast in the same hour in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. 
But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Now verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said, Unto the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes and governors and captains and kings and counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Well, let's look into this story. You've heard it multiple times. Let's see if we can learn something maybe just really beneficial to us this morning. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for this story. And Lord, we pray that we wouldn't just look at it as a Sunday school story to entertain children, but Lord, that we would see a much needed example of standing for right, not only for these Hebrew boys, but in our day to day. God, strengthen us, please. May the Holy Spirit of God challenge our hearts to stand and not to compromise in this age in which we live. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Get on fire for God. How to get on fire for God. This story, we, we've heard it when we were little boys and girls, and, and uh, we, we listened to it, and we thought, this is amazing how, how these men had such courage. They stood and looked at the very king of the whole land where they served and said, King... We're just not going to bow down to your gods nor to your image. We're not going to bow down. And if we go into the fiery furnace, so be it. And if we die, so be it. And we marveled as boys and girls when we heard this story and said, wow, look what God did. He delivered those courageous Hebrew men and brought them out of the fire. How big and how great our God is. We marveled at this story. And... We need to come to the realization, if we haven't already, that there is a marvelous truth here that God expects you and me to stand courageously in the faith of our Lord. We're at odds, you and I. We're at odds with the devil, with the world, and even with our own flesh. We have opposition 
that wants to cause us to compromise and say, look, just bow down and everything will be okay. And we live in an age when many churches, many Christians, many movements are willing to bow as though nothing had happened. And yet these men had courage to stand their ground. Not disrespectfully, but courageously. We're at odds with the enemy. And we need, as modern day Christians, to take the high road of separation. That's a word that's not mentioned much anymore, that Christians ought to be separated from this world, that we stand for some things that's different than the world stands for. We have some, we have some firm convictions that we cannot say, well, it's okay to lay these aside and bow to the gods of this world. We need to be genuinely on fire for God. If we're going to face the fire one of these days, and you will if you stand for God, if you face the fire, if you face the fiery furnace, you better have in your heart a fire of God to get you through the fire of the furnace. If you have the fire of God in your heart, you'll be willing to stand and you will stand. Notice the first thing that these Hebrew men did. Number one, they, they dared to be different. Be different. Christian, be different. Verses 1 through 7 shows us that they're different. These men were different than all those around them. Everybody's been called. The Bible says in the passage we read that all of the king's counselors, his, his treasurers, the military staff, all of his leaders are all gathered together and they all bow. But not these three men. They were different. You look around you today and you say, but look, this is how Christianity is today. We're, we're not the same as we were back in the old days. <laughs> yeah, why? Why are we not the same as we were in the old days? The world has moved a lot, but the church has followed along. And Christians are bowing many times instead of standing. Here's all these people. They're bowed down to this huge 90 foot. Does that, does that figure out the 90 feet cubits? <laughs> uh, here's a 90 foot statue, idol. In the previous chapter, Daniel has interpreted the meaning of the dream of the king and that he has a place as a world ruler in the history of the world. And so I guess it must have gone to the king's head and he wanted to make sure that he got preserved as somebody important. Don't we all like to be somebody important? Well, he wanted to build this statue, this long, tall, skinny statue and put that head of gold on it. He wanted to be remembered. And I suppose the case could be made that this is not just a totem pole, but this, because he says in one place there, who are the gods that are going to deliver you from me? Isn't, that kind of, isn't he kind of saying, there's no gods that can deliver you from me. So isn't he placing himself above not only the God of heaven, but even the pagan gods of Babylon? So does that statue, that image, doesn't it kind of set Nebuchadnezzar up as the ultimate deity? It's funny how 
not funny, sad, how rulers throughout history have oftentimes made themselves to be deity so they could preserve their place in history, and yet, without fail, they show their own weakness. There were temptations that these three Hebrew children had to face and overcome. And by the way, these are, same, these are the same temptations we have to face and overcome today. They, they had to guard their position. See, they, here's Hebrew slaves. <laughs> They're in the land of Babylon, but he has elevated them to places of leadership. They are servants in the government structure there. And so they have, uh, they have, a, they have a place of prestige for Hebrew slaves. And if they won't bow before the king they serve, are they going to be able to stay in those positions? <laughs> Even if they didn't get thrown in the fiery furnace and burned up, would they expect that they could maintain their position? I submit to you that today, there's a lot of Christians today who want to maintain their position, either in society or in the corporation, in high tech, or in, even in the church where they want to maintain their position and they don't want to be seen as a fanatic. <laughs> yeah. A religious fanatic. Yeah. Well, these guys, they could have said, we, we better bow. We've got positions we've got to protect. But they didn't. Praise God. They didn't let their personal interests keep them from standing. They were willing to go into the fire. They could have said, well, look, not only do we have positions to defend, but, but we don't really want to be persecuted either. I mean, the sound of going into the fiery furnace, does that sound good to anybody? I mean, nobody wants to be persecuted. And getting thrown into a fiery furnace is persecution to the ultimate. And today we have Christians that they don't want to be thought to be odd from everybody else and be persecuted because after all if you don't celebrate if you don't celebrate pride month you're a bigot <laughs> and that's why big tech and all the corporations practically virtually all of them are putting a rainbow flag on their website and on their on their businesses because they don't want to be seen as a bigot <laughs> and yet god says Celebrating such as that is an abomination celebration. An abomination celebration. But yet, nobody wants to be thought as a bigot or a racist. Not woke. Not woke enough. <laughs> Had a company that I buy supplements from, health supplements. Sent me an email and advertising one of their sales in celebration of Pride Month. I sent an email back and said, I'm done with your company. I don't want your products anymore. Go woke, go broke. <laughs> now, I'm sure they'll miss my business, but at least I made a statement. <laughs> but today we see a lot of Christians try to avoid persecution. Well, nobody wants to be persecuted. Yet these three Hebrew children, to bring honor and glory to God, they would not bow and they were willing to be persecuted. And listen, one of these days as closer and closer and closer to the tribulation we come, 
Even before the tribulation starts, it's going to get worse and you may be facing persecution. I mean, it's going to be more than just uh, somebody mocking and making fun of your faith. It's going to get dangerous. Are you willing to stand? Do you have a fire in your heart? A fire that will help you to face the fiery furnace. And then there's a third thing that these three, three Hebrew children had to face and overcome. They were expected to conform to their peers. Everybody else is doing it. <laughs> Everybody else is bowing. So why can't you? Goody two-shoes. <laughs> because I'm a Christian. I'm a blood-bought Christian. I can't bow. He's, he gave his life to save me. He died on a cross to keep me out of hell. I will not bow to the devil. I will not bow to the world. I cannot bow even to the flesh. Call me names if you wish. But I've got a fire in my heart. And even though we may face a fiery furnace, the three Hebrew children said... <laughs> I can't do it. And so the king gives them a second chance. He said, now look, everybody's doing this. You guys, look, I know you guys didn't think this through. You three guys, you have a high position in my cabinet. You three guys are serving me. You have an elevated position. You're making good money. Your families are doing well. You could just bow. And what would that hurt? Go ahead, team. Smoke that cigarette. Your parents will never know. Go ahead and take that pill. It'll make you feel good. Nobody will ever know. Go ahead and just drink a few sips of that beer. And you might see that you actually like it. And it makes you feel good. Go ahead. Nobody will know. And what will it hurt? Those prudish parents, that prudish preacher, that church you go to, they are just stifling you. Just go ahead and bow. Everybody else is doing it. What will it hurt? It'll hurt him. You know what? We learn from this passage of Scripture, we need to be separated. Separated from the world, the devil, and the flesh. Because... Christians have kind of forgotten about separation in the last several decades. We, we, want the, we want to follow the latest in fashion. Look, you wear skinny jeans if you want to, mister, but I'm not going to wear them. I don't want to look like a tube of toothpaste that's been squeezed up from the bottom. <laughs> and besides, an old guy wearing skinny jeans looks like an idiot trying to be cool. If you don't mind, I'm just going to be me. I'll wear my suspenders. <laughs> You'll probably not see my underwear. I, I don't do plumbing anymore. <laughs> the hairstyles, the clothing. I, my wife and I were driving yesterday to make a few visits, and we saw this one woman, girl, walking down the street. 
And you know how they wear the jeans now that, man, if I had to wear jeans like that back in the 50s and the 60s, we had to wear patches over the holes on our jeans and we were embarrassed about that. And now they, they don't even have the decency to wear patches. And, and this girl had on a pair of jeans that there was hardly anything left from about right here down. I'm thinking, why didn't she just go ahead and wear a pair of shorts? <laughs> I mean, there ain't nothing down there anyway. There's not enough material down there to make a pair of leggings for a mosquito. But that's the style. And it's cool. And it's hip. And we want to be like everybody else. If you look like that bunch that goes to Liberty Baptist Church, they'll laugh at you. Well, I laugh at the ones that look different than that. Second Corinthians 6.17 says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. That's a Bible command. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Quit being afraid. Get a fire in your heart because you're going to face the real fire one of these days. Titus 2.4 says we're supposed to be a peculiar people. Now some of you are pretty peculiar, all right. <laughs> well, not to be afraid to be what God told us to be. The children of Israel back in the Old Testament, they were called a peculiar people just for for the Lord. And you and I, in the New Testament time, we are to be a peculiar people. That doesn't mean just be odd and weird. It just means you're not afraid to be different than the world. Teach those boys to be boys. Get them a pair of overalls. Teach those girls to be girls. Put a dress on them. Be different. Take a stand. While everybody else in Babylon was bowing before Nebuchadnezzar's idol, these Hebrew children, among all the thousands that were bowing, three of them stood there. And the ones around them whispered, are you not going to bow? No, I can't do it. But why not? Everybody else is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't mean to be disrespectful, but I can't do it. And they stood. They stood. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I like that. You know what? Once you, we talk about in Pride Month, and I even hate to even mention it because it's sickening, but they talk about coming out. You know what? I think there's a bunch of Christians need to come out. Come out and be different. Come out. Once, when I first got saved, I thought, well, now what are my friends going to think? All those guys I used to drink with, the ones I used to go party with, the ones I went to the nightclubs with, what are they going to think about me? It wasn't long after God called me to preach. I thought, now what are they going to think about me? <laughs> you know what I did? I figured there's only one way to handle this. I'm just going to come out as a Christian as a preacher, and make sure they know who I am and who I stand for. So I just told them, I, I'm a preacher. I've been, I've been saved. God saved me. And now he's called me to preach. And I'm different than I used to be. I don't go to the clubs anymore. I don't go to the parties anymore. I don't let my hair grow long and hippie-like anymore. 
I, that's, that's not me. I'm a Christian now. And I'm different. And once I let people know where I stood, whew, it was a load off my shoulders. I didn't have to prove anything to anybody. I'm just going to be who God made me to be. He's made me to be a Christian, saved. And so I don't have to get along with them. You know, there was a preacher up in uh, Philadelphia where Donald Barnhouse used to pastor, a well-known preacher back several decades ago. And he said, there's somebody, man, just came out of World War II and got saved. And, and he said, uh, the preacher said, now what you need to do is just to make your salvation public so everybody knows who you are and what you've done. Because he was worried about what they'd think about him. <laughs> and so he did. He made his public profession and the preacher said, now when you come in contact, the best way to get over this is the first 10, 10 of your friends that you're worried about. The first 10 of them just announced to them right up front, hey, guess what happened to me? I got saved. I got born again. I'm a child of God now. And so the first, first thing, right, just as he got off of the train at the station after coming back to his city out of the war, as a Christian, he's on the train station, uh, what do they call that? Uh, platform, yeah. I knew it was some difficult word. <laughs> and so he's standing on the platform and this, this girl that he used to party with come running up to him and recognize him, called his name. She said, boy, it's great to see you. What have you been doing? He said, you'll never believe it. I just got saved a little while ago and I'm living for the Lord now. And he said, she said, oh, oh. And boy, she, she hit the trail. <laughs> and so he went on a little further and he came up to one of his buddies that he used to party with. And he said, man, it's good to see you home from the war. He said, man, we'll, get, we'll crank up some of those parties like we used to go to and we'll have a good time. And he said, I don't know if I can do that anymore or not. I'm a Christian now. And he said, guys, Smile left his face and he said, oh, okay, I'll see you. And he went the other way. And he did that for 10, 10 times, 10 people. He just made his public profession of faith. Let them know who he was. He's a child of God now. And you know what? He went and told the preacher. He said, you know, I didn't have to really separate from anybody. When they found out I was a Christian, they separated from me. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. Be different. As a Christian, just be different. I'm not talking about being weird. I'm talking about being a Christian, the one that God wants you to be. And don't worry about what the world thinks. The devil's the accuser of the brethren. He'll try to tell everybody you're weird. In some of your cases, it may be true. But, <laughs> but let them think what they want. Quit worrying about what they think. You know what? I used to worry about what people thought about me. Then I got older and I... I came to the point where I said, well, I'm just not going to worry about what they think about me. And then I got a lot older and I decided then I found out they weren't thinking about me anyway. <laughs> you know, most of that's going on up here. Number two, be determined. Be determined. Be determined. Verses 8 through 18. These fellows were accused by the other Babylonian office holders. And they went and tattled to the king. And they said, King, these, he, these three Hebrews didn't bow. And he said, what? Yeah, they didn't bow. They're being disrespectful. Didn't you say they were supposed to bow, king? Yeah, that's what I said. Well, king, you better do something with them. They'll set a bad example, you know. <laughs> and so the king gave them a second chance. And they said, well, we appreciate the opportunity, king, but we still can't bow. See, we serve God. He's the real God. He's the most high. 
And so they were determined. They weren't just going to be different among the rest of the crowd, but when they faced the ultimate authority in their life, they were determined to stand anyway. You know what? A lot of people have good intentions, say, I'm going to stand for God, but then when the heat gets on, <laughs> little pun there, then they turn their back and they hightail it. Be determined. Say, I'm going to stand. Come hell or high water, I'm going to stand. I'm standing for him. In spite of the insinuation, they will insinuate like these guys did that they were disloyal to the king. No, they were very respectful to the king. They just said, we're not going to bow to the gods that you worship. And people will insinuate things about you when you decide to serve God. I mean, sold out, lock, stock, and barrel. There'll be people that make insinuations about you, like being a bigot, <laughs> things like that. In Matthew 10, 24 and 25, Jesus said, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? You know what Jesus said? Jesus is saying, look, they, they're going to crucify me. They've accused me of being the devil. They're going to do away with me. And do you think you're going to get anything better when you identify with me? <laughs> no, that's the way it goes. They were determined in spite of interrogation. Man, they were questioned. The Bible says we're supposed to have an answer. That's why we come to church. That's why we study the Bible. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we go to Sunday school and go to preaching so we can learn more about Him and we're ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. There'll be times when the world will try to pin us down about what we believe and we should have an answer. They were determined in spite of intimidation. You know, that's what's going on in the corporate world and in the news media right now. They're trying to intimidate Christians and conservatives to shut up. They don't care what you believe or what you say, just shut up. They're saying, you've got to think like us, act like us, and look like us, or shut up. <laughs> that's, that's how it is. They're trying to intimidate you. I mean, Christians can be intimidated. Don't let them do it. <laughs> I read the rules that one man had for dating his daughter. You talk about intimidation. Listen to this. This was the rules he had for his daughter. <laughs> Rule number one, if you pull into my driveway and honk, you better be delivering a package because you're sure not picking anything up. Rule two, do not, do not touch my daughter in front of me. You may glance at her so long as you do not look below her neck. If you cannot keep your hands and eyes off of her, I will remove them. <laughs> rule three I'm aware that it's considered fashionable for boys your age to wear their trousers so loosely that they appear to be falling off their hips please don't take this as an insult but you and all of your friends are complete idiots still I want to be fair and open minded with this so <laughs> I propose this compromise you may come to the door with your underwear showing and your pants size two, ten sizes too big and I will not object However, in order to ensure that your clothes do not in fact come off during the course of your date with my daughter, I will take my electric nail gun and staple your trousers securely to your waist to make sure they don't fall down. <laughs> Rule four, 
It is usually understood that in order for us to get to know each other, we should talk about sports, politics, and other issues of the day. Please do not do this. The only information I require from you is an indication of when you expect to have my daughter safely back at my house, and the only word I need from you on this subject is early. Rule five, if I have no doubt you're a popular fellow with many opportunities to date other girls, this is fine with me as long as it's okay with my daughter. Otherwise, once you have gone out with my little girl, you will continue to date no one but her until she's finished with you. If you make her cry, I'll make you cry. Rule seven, if you stand in front of my hallway waiting for my daughter to appear and more than an hour goes by, do not sigh and fidget. If you want to be on time for dinner, you should not be dating. My daughter is putting on her makeup, a process that can take longer than painting the Golden Gate Bridge. Instead of just standing there, why don't you do something useful like changing the oil in my car? Rule eight. The following places are not appropriate for a date with my daughter. Places where there are beds, sofas, or anything softer than a wooden stool. Places where there are no parents, policemen, or nuns within the eyesight. Places where there is darkness. Places where there is dancing, holding hands, or happiness. The, places where the ambient temperature is warm enough to induce my daughter to wear shorts, tank tops, or midriff t-shirts, or anything other than overall sweater and a goose-down parka zipped up to her throat. Movies with strong romantic or sexual theme are to be avoided. Movies which features chainsaws are okay. Hockey games are okay. Old folks' homes are better. <laughs> Rule nine, do not lie to me. I may appear to be a pot-bellied, balding, old middle-aged, dim-witted has-been, but on issues relating to my daughter, I am the all-knowing, merciless God of your universe. If I ask you where you are going and with whom, you have but one chance to tell me the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I have a shotgun, a shovel, and five acres behind my house. Do not trifle with me. <laughs> be afraid. Be very afraid, rule number 10. It takes very little for me to mistake the sound of your car in the driveway for a chopper coming in over a rice paddy near Hanoi. When my Agent Orange starts acting up, the voices in my head frequently tell me to clean my guns as I wait for you to bring my daughter home. As soon as you pull into the driveway, you should exit your car with both hands in plain sight, speak the perimeter password, announce in a clear voice that you have brought my daughter home safely and early, then return to your car. There's no need for you to come inside. The camouflaged face in the window is mine. <laughs> well, the forces, the forces of opposition to Christians are... Very intimidating too. And these three Hebrew children knew what it was to have Nebuchadnezzar to intimidate them. And yet they stood firm. I suppose if they'd have known what Philippians 121 said, they'd probably say, quote it, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain the devil will start to growl and threaten us, but we don't want to miss out on the truth that these Hebrew children stood their ground. And number three, and lastly, be delivered. Be different, be determined, and be delivered. They're sort of, 
you know, sometimes Christians are sort of like the rancher from New York. He, well, he was from New York. He bought a ranch out west. They're afraid, like the cattle were, the, of the burning and the heat. A New York family bought a ranch out west, and they intended to raise cattle. And friends visited the ranch and asked him, said, uh, what's the name of your ranch? And he said, well, uh, I wanted to call it the Bar J. My wife favored Susie Q. One son liked the flying W, and the other wanted it to be the lazy Y. So we're calling our ranch the Bars J, Susie Q, flying W, lazy Y. And the guy said, well, where's all your cattle? He said, none of them survived the branding. I think there's a lot of Christians who cannot seem to endure the branding. They say, if you can't stand the heat, stay out of the kitchen. But I think God wants you in the kitchen and able to stand the heat. Let's let God do the delivering. If he doesn't deliver us in this physical life, he'll deliver us in the eternal life. Well, I'll have to unhook from this freight train right here. First Peter 4.14 says, If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit, of glory and, the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. When we go through the fire and we endure the flames, God is glorified. You may think you have just undergone a huge persecution, but if you stood, you stood against the flames, he's glorified. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us as we consider these Hebrew children and how they stood strong. I pray that you'd bless us as we certainly will face the flames of the devil's furnace on this earth. But we have the cool breezes of heaven to look forward to. I pray that you'd bless us with strength, with faith, with determination, dedication, that we might stand and be different in this crazy old world. Lord, bless us. Bless Christians. Lord, if there's some listening who haven't trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, they may not understand a lot of what was just said. And it may even sound hateful to them. But Lord, I... I want them to know that you love them. I pray you'd just touch their heart right now and let them know that sinners need a Savior and that they are a sinner according to the Bible and sinners cannot enter heaven. They must be forgiven of that sin and be born again. Lord, I pray that you touch their heart and make, make them realize that only by trusting Jesus Christ can they be saved.